You'll open your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and then if you'll put your hand there and turn over to Revelation chapter 12, we're going to look at a couple of verses in Revelation 12 first. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about reigniting our passion and love for Jesus, and all of us have experienced seasons of dryness when our passion and zeal and heart for the Savior has seemingly waned. And in the very first message, we looked at Psalm 1, and we saw how God wants our spiritual lives to be like like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to encounter storms, sometimes hurricane-force winds. And we may, it may seem that uh, all of the fruit is being blown off of our tree. And with the hurricane force winds, we're bent over. But what we discover is we don't break by the grace of God. And when that hurricane force wind ceases in God's right timing, we find ourselves right back strong and steady like we were when the, when the storm began. And in order to have that kind of a life, we need to practice certain spiritual disciplines. There are certain practices that we must engage in on a regular basis. Uh, Reading the Bible, concentrated prayer, heartfelt worship. All of those things we can do privately in our prayer closet. Uh, But when we relegate Bible reading, Bible study, private prayer, and even private worship merely to our our prayer closet, uh, we experience less from those spiritual disciplines than God wants us to experience. For in the Christian life, there's a private personal aspect to spirituality and spiritual growth. And there's also a a congregational aspect to spirituality and spiritual growth. So we should read the Bible and study the Bible privately, but then we should gather together in small groups and in congregational worship and study the Bible together. We should pray heartfelt, passionate prayers in our prayer closets, but then we should gather together in our Bible fellowship groups and, and even in congregational settings where we join our hearts together in prayer. And whether we're in a Bible fellowship group of 15 or 20, 25 people or in a congregational gathering of 250, 300 people, there's something, there's something miraculous and significant that takes place. The Spirit of God uses that corporate prayer time in our lives in a way that even exceeds in part what goes on privately. So you don't want to relegate prayer only to congregational life or to small group praying, but the two work hand in hand. And the same is true with, with worship. We should sing privately and we should sing publicly. We look around the world and, and we think in many, in many senses by the books we read, the sermons that we hear, that spirituality is primarily a personal endeavor. But I want to suggest to you this morning that community life and being a part of a church family is absolutely essential 
to a vital and vibrant spirituality. That if there is missing an aspect of congregational life in a person's spirituality, they are less than God would want them to be. There's something absolutely, definitively missing. And I will prove that to you this morning from the Word of God. This will be a conclusion that I think all of us will be able to affirm whether we like it or not, not based upon what I say, but based upon what the Apostle Paul teaches. Uh, But let's face it, isn't Sunday mornings often the most difficult morning of the week to get going? Uh, Don't you find that gathering together on Sundays is so much more difficult than getting through the week. That is, we make it to to work on time and we make it to work regularly. We get our kids to school on time and we get get them there regularly. But, But we find it almost impossible at times to get to church regularly and and even even on time. I want to suggest to you that there's a demonic aspect to that. That is, hell itself wants to separate the people of God from vibrant congregational life. In in the book of Revelation, in chapter 12, if you were to put a title on chapter 12, chapter 12 in the book of Revelation answers the question, why does Satan hate the church and want to destroy it? Now, we know that the book of Revelation is filled with images and pictures that that are intended to bring to life what is happening behind the scenes. Uh, behind what we can see with our eyes and touch with our hands. And so he uses images and pictures. And so look with me in verse 13 of chapter 12. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. See, the dragon clearly enough in the book of Revelation represents Satan. And so as as John the Apostle is writing and he's contemplating what is the most vicious and the most diabolical and and the most ominous of figures that I can use to portray somebody like the devil, he uses a dragon. And here he presents the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ as a woman. And that's why the church is the bride of Christ. And so notice that Satan has been cast down. He can no longer stand in God's presence and accuse us of being unfit to be his children because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he has been cast down to the earth and he wants to persecute the church. Look with me in verse 17. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children. That is, the woman represents the church, the children represent the individual members of the church. A dragon is making war against the people of God and will, who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And so we look around the world today and what's taking place in China, what's taking place when Islamic terrorists gather together Christians and decapitate them. There is indwelling sin and hatred that is taking place that is fueled by satanic and demonic activity. We see that right here. He knows his time is short. 
He's been cast out of heaven. He can no longer say they don't deserve to be in heaven. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. And so he persecutes the people of God. Now in certain parts of the world, he does it through physical persecution. In other parts of the world, like in the so-called Christian West, he's very subtle. You see, sometimes we, we think that our, we don't realize our blessings are really a curse. So the beach house, I'd like to have a beach house. I've told my wife I'd like to have a beach house. She said, first, you can't afford a beach house. Second, we're not going to be gone enough from church for you to enjoy a beach house. And the point is, what could be a great blessing and is a blessing can become a curse. When a person begins to separate themselves more and more from, the, from their church family. Why is it that we have this unbelievable difficult? Why are the kids sick more on Sunday than any other time of the week? Why do we find it more difficult to get going on Sunday than any other day of the week? There's indwelling sin and satanic opposition that's at work. Why? Because Satan wants to separate the people of God from the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because you can't have spiritual vitality and spiritual strength and sustainable grace apart from being intricately connected with the people of God. So I want you to look with me beginning First 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Now, as we study this passage, when we think about 1 Corinthians, we think primarily about spiritual gifts, and, and we're going to read about some spiritual gifts. We're going we're to have a, have a temptation to get sidetracked from the basic point at hand. Uh, we're going to want to think about what does he mean when he talks about this spiritual gift or that spiritual gift? What does he mean when he talks about tongues or, or gifts of healing? I, I, I want us to push all of that to the side because what I want to talk about from this passage is the absolute necessity of community for spiritual vitality. Five things I want you to see as we work through this passage very quickly this morning. The first one is this. We, the church, are one, just like the human body is one. So we, we, have, a, we have a body. We may not like our body, but it's our body. And uh, unless there's been some kind of uh, surgery or, or, or accident, we've got hands and ears and eyes and feet. That's, that what, that's what makes a body. And as I read verses 12 and 13, circle for me in your Bible every time the word one, O-N-E, is used. So he says in verse 12, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So there's a lot of things we could talk about just in those two verses. But the point that I want you to notice is that five times in these two verses, he highlights the fact that although there are a diversity of people in the church, we are the church. That although there are many members, there is only one body. And so he points to racial diversity when he talks about Jews and Greeks. 
He talks about social diversity when he talks about slaves and free. But the point is the church, like the human body, is one. The second thing I want you to notice is this. We, the church, are made up of many members just as the body is made up of many members. So we're one church, we're one body, uh, but we have different roles within the body. We have different functions within the body. So look with me in verse 14 where Paul lays down this principle. For the body is not one member, but many. Uh, That is, if you've ever seen an old horror movie, You've never seen one probably where, they, where the, the beast that is causing so much turmoil is just an eye, though that would, that would certainly be horrific, or an ear, or a hand, or a foot. No, uh, the body is made up of many members. So he lays down his principle. In verse 15 and 16, he's going to give us examples of it. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And so he wants to go on and expand on this idea in verses 17 and 18. And the point that he wants to make is the absolute necessity of every part of the body contributing to the entire health of the whole body. So look with me in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? And so he wants us to understand that we've got roles to play. Every single person is a part of the body, even if they don't feel very important. Verse 18, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he has desired. Notice that God puts us in a body. He puts us in a church. He places us there. He gives us a function. He gives us a role. He gives us a a place to get involved. And that's, that's God's determination. In verse 19, he says, if they were all one member, where would the body be? That is, if everybody looked the same, it wouldn't be a body, it would be an abnormality. But now there are many members, but one body. So he goes back and he makes his point again. So every person has a, has a function, a role, everybody is needed. You might think, well, I, I'm just a little toe. Try having the little toe severed. Uh, you'll find that uh, the foot doesn't work quite as, quite as well. Everybody has something, to, a part to play, a role to contribute. You might say, well, pastor, I don't feel like I have a role to contribute. Well, you probably just came from a Bible fellowship group. Last week, we had 711 people in worship. We had 710 people in Bible fellowship groups. That's pretty phenomenal. That's not, a, that's not unusual for, for us. You know, most churches, most churches 
they, give, they would give their right arm for 50% of their Sunday morning gathering to be in a small group, be it a, be it a Sunday school class or what we call Bible fellowship groups. Uh, the average attendance for home groups, and churches do home groups very, very well, the average attendance in a home group is 35% of the total gathering that meets on the Lord's Day. So they meet in worship on the Lord's Day, 35% of them will meet in a small group that week. We have somewhere in the neighborhood, typically of between 90 and last week, I don't know who, which one of you it was, but one of you missed out last week by, uh, by the 710, 7-11 in, uh, in worship. But, but the point is, the point is we need one another. So you're thinking, I don't, I'm not needed. I'm not needed. Maybe the need for you is when you walk in that Bible fellowship group, you're very much aware that there is a, a person in your group that's going through a terrible struggle, a situation that's really outside their control. Uh, they're one of those hurricane force winds that's just got them really reeling. They love Jesus. They're following Jesus. They're faithful to Jesus. Uh, the, the struggle has absolutely nothing to do with sinful decisions and choices that they've, that they've made. It's out of their hands. The circumstances aren't of their own doing. And you go into that Bible fellowship group and you sit down next to that brother or sister and you, you say to them, listen, I want you to know I'm praying for you. And then during the week, you write them a note after you've prayed for them and just say to them, I want you to know I prayed for you today. And then you ask them out to lunch after church for next week and you take them out and you, you minister to them and you serve them. And you might think, I don't have a role. I don't have a place to play. You, you have an unbelievably important role. You're doing an unbelievable act of ministry. God is much glorified. He's as much glorified in that than in the sermon that I'm preaching because you're doing what only you can do in that particular situation. You're giving a cup of cold water in Jesus' name to a wonderful brother or sister who's suffering. And so you may think I'm, I'm just a, a small part and I really not a part of, I'm not on the mission team. I, I don't help with the ushering. I'm not a greeter. I don't take the role in my BFG, which is an unbelievably important task. As you might think, well, I take the role, but it doesn't seem very important. Do you know, almost every Monday we look at the role because we want to know where our people are, if they need us, how we can be of help to them. And we, and we need to know who's visited a class. So the, the keeper of a role, they may think, well, I'm just a little finger. No, you are an absolutely essential cog in what we're doing well, I want you to notice a third idea. The third thought is this. We, the church, are like the parts of the body, mutually dependent. That is, we do need one another. We think we don't need one another. We think we do well when we're, when we're without the church, but the reality is we absolutely need the church. Jay Lynn, as many of you know, she has to travel fairly regularly to, to Florida to, to help uh, care for her mother who has who has um, dementia. 
And usually she tries to, to structure her trips so that she's not gone on the Lord's Day. But sometimes she's got to be gone on the, on the Lord's Day. And then if it happens that I have to travel and speak somewhere the next Lord's Day, she has to travel with me because I, I just need her with me when I travel now because of my vision. And so by the time we get back, she will say, I just don't feel right. I'm out of sorts because I've been away from church too long. These last two weeks, I feel like I'm disconnected from our, from our congregation. And so what Paul says in 21 through 24, there is a mutual dependence. But once we get separated and severed, we lose the sense of that. We lose the absolute thought, I am absolutely in need of other believers. Because we did all right. We didn't cheat on our wife. We didn't kick our kids. Well, we, we, we didn't do any bad things. I read my Bible in my quiet time. I sang in my quiet time. I prayed in my quiet time. I'm still doing very well. But what Paul is saying is that we are absolutely dependent on one another. So look with me in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, so he's putting us all together giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. So again, you may think, well, I, I don't have a role to play by sitting down next to that brother or sister and encouraging them, praying for them, serving them. That brings unbelievable glory to God. It's like giving a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. He's glorified by that. And notice what he says when he says, but God has so composed the body. He's put us together to be who we are. That's why I am absolutely against trying to make us into someone as a congregation that we are not. I'm absolutely opposed to taking another church's identity and personality and superimposing it on who we are because that's not who we are. God has put us here. He's made us who we are by the people that he brings us. The gifts that he brings us is to further the ministries of this congregation to the glory of God. So we shouldn't be trying to be somebody we are not. We don't need to be like a church in California or a church in Central Florida. We need to be who God has made us to be. Uh, sometimes that's very hard for people to, to wrap their arms around. So we've got a lot of universities here. So we've got students who come to the University of Louisville or to Sullivan College or to Bellarmine or to Boyce College. They come to one of the graduate institutions here, maybe to med school at the University of Louisville or to graduate school at the Southern, um, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And they struggle because they want their church, which is in, in North Georgia, to be the church that they attend in Louisville, Kentucky. Well, we don't need another church like that. Any more than North Georgia needs another church like this. This is the church that God has placed here. And there are other many, many wonderful gospel-believing churches in the city. 
But they don't need to be like the church we came from. They need to be the church that God has made them to be. And then we, we pitch in and bring the gifts and the personality that God has given us to become a, a member of what's taking place here. Uh, I want you to notice with me fourthly that we the church must be concerned about one another. There, there needs to be mutual concern, mutual love. And we live in a self-centered society. We live in a society that wants everything done for them. And if we're not careful, it works its way into the church. Uh, but we need to be concerned about one another. And, and I would say by the grace of God and, by the, and for the glory of God, that is so true of so many of you. Not, I would say most of you. Most of you are concerned about other people. That's the only way you can have a multi-generational congregation. Because if you have a congregation that's concerned only about your age group and demographic, then you will never be willing to make sacrifices. The elderly won't make sacrifices for the younger. The younger won't make sacrifices for the older. Because the only thing that matters is that it's the church that I want it to be. But there needs to be a mutual concern. There has to be give and take. There's got to be sacrifice on all parts. And particularly, the more mature we are spiritually, the more willing we are to bend uh, to help in the ministry of others. So he says in verse 25 and 20 and 26, he says, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Pastor Ryan Morris, our children and community pastor, and I went on a visit Friday. Uh, we went and visited a a brother who has a brain tumor and to pray with he and his wife. And you go there to encourage people and man, we just left so encouraged. We were so encouraged by them. They ministered so much to us, shared with us uh, some of what they'd been reading in their Bible together, some verses that the Lord had given them and, and talked about their Bible fellowship group. They just, they just, extolled the virtues of the people in their Bible fellowship group. The love, the concern, the ministry that that group has extended to them. So he's got a very serious tumor, got a very serious brain surgery facing him. And I, I left thinking, praise be to God for people like this. And for a group like that, mutual concern. No one is self-sufficient. That's the idea in the fifth thought. We're not self-sufficient. We may think we're self-sufficient because we, we don't have lives that collapse into moral failure, to bankruptcy. We've got a good home and a wonderful spouse and, and uh, obedient and polite children, but that's not all that life is about. Life is about so much more than that. Life is about being a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not 
wither. And when the storms come and the waters rise, those who have built their lives on the sand, that is their Christianity is kind of a casual Christianity. Uh, the, the, the soil is washed away and their lives become, begin to crumble around them. Not so those who build their lives on the rock. And, and a part of having a life built on solid ground is realizing I need you and we need one another. And so he says beginning in verse, in verse 27, here he states the principle, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings. I told you there'd be stuff that you'd want to talk about, but we can't linger. Helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. And then he asked a series of questions. So he's coming to the, to the culmination of his discussion about the church being one, but made up of individual members. And he asked a series of questions, and all of the questions anticipate a no answer to drive home the point that no one, no matter how spiritually literate they are, no matter how theologically sophisticated they may be, they are not self-sufficient. So he says, all are not apostles, are they? The implied answer is no. All are not prophets, are they? No. All are not teachers, are they? No. All are not workers of miracles, are they? No. All do not have gifts of healings, do they? No. All do not speak with tongues, do they? No. All do not interpret, do they? No. But earnestly desire the greater gifts. So the point that he's making is that God has given us gifts, abilities, and opportunities. We should seek to use our gifts as we're able and we should seek to seize the opportunities that God has given us. You may have the spiritual gift of teaching. Teaching's not an easy thing to, to get to do in our church because we've got limited groups and limited places and a lot of people that are very, very gifted teachers. But that doesn't mean that you can't sit down by a, a brother or sister in a Bible fellowship group. And a brother saying to a brother or a sister saying to a sister, listen, I know you're going through a difficult time. How can I help you? How can I pray for you? Listen, I know there's a lot of sickness in your family. Can I bring you a meal? And we think, well, that, that's not a big thing. It's not a big thing to you. It's a big thing to them. And it brings much abundant glory to God. And you'll find it's when you serve Christ in that way, it doesn't seem big to you, but it's big to God. It's big to them. The roots of your life are going deeper and deeper into the soil of the church, into the soil of community. And you don't realize it, but there are so many people that don't understand that there's coming a storm, and when that storm comes, you're going to do just fine. I mean, there'll be disappointment, there'll be heartache, there'll be pain, there'll be agony, there'll be tears but you will do fine. Why? Because the, the roots of your life have grown deeper and deeper and the rock and the soil 
that has, that, that, uh, into which you have been planted is firmer and stronger than you could ever imagine by the decisions and the choices that you have made because you understand the absolute necessity of community for spiritual vitality. So let me, let me close with just a couple of thoughts today. As we read through this passage, we keep seeing reference to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We keep seeing references to the Spirit. Every church needs God's Spirit at work within her members individually and the congregation corporately. Every church needs God's Spirit at work within her members individually and among the church congregationally. So join me in praying as many of you already do on a, on a regular basis, almost a daily basis. I pray, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit would work in us and through us and among us for your glory and for the joy of your people. The second thing that I want to remind you about today and, and just to highlight one final time is uh, we, wanna, we want to say again we don't want to replicate another church. We just want to be the church God is making us to be. Now, we can always improve. We can always do better. We're always trying to, to refine and to strengthen. But we want to be who we are, repli demonstrated by the people that God brings to us. We don't want to be and we don't want to try to be someone we're not. And so God is doing good things among us. We had, as I mentioned, 710 in Bible Fellowship Group last week. We are in a serious space, a capacity problem. And best I've tried, I come up here sometimes and I walk the hallways and I pray that God would, would move the hallways kind of like he parted the ocean, but I don't have what it takes. It doesn't seem like. And so we're cramming, we're cramming you in as best we can in our Bible fellowship groups. We've got room to grow in our, in our worship services. Wednesday night, we had uh, somewhere 480 people in discipleship. Uh, most congregations uh, don't have the opportunity to have that percentage of people. So 711 in worship, 480 in discipleship. Be it in Dr. Betts' uh, class. Let me mention again, Dr. Betts is going to be preaching Tuesday. In the first service, Gabriel said we ought to make it a white out. We're going to be sitting in the center, in the center section. I don't know if you have to wear white or not to sit there, but we'll be, uh, we'll be there to support Dr. Betts. But, uh, but the point is, we've got a large group Bible study there. We've got a, a marriage class upstairs that's equal. And then we've got all kinds of children's discipleship, youth. All these things going on is a sign of God's blessings and God's grace so we don't need to be someone else. We just need to become more and more of who God wants us to be. Well, you may be here today and you're thinking, you know, I, I realize it's not a perfect church. I've already seen you, so I can, I can tell that. But I, I like the kind of things that your church, this church, not my church, the Lord's church, our church, by God's grace is doing. Maybe you'd like to join with us. We would love to talk with you about membership. There are gonna be some folks at the back doors you can go back to, they'll have a lanyard on, uh, just share with them. I'd like to know a little bit more about membership and they'll talk with you about church membership. Uh, maybe you just like someone to pray for you. Dr. Eliff was sharing with me uh, a week before last, uh, someone approached him 
in the back and just said, I'd like for you to, to pray for me about a, a matter. And maybe you would feel comfortable doing that as well. I'm gonna ask you if you'll stand. I'm gonna lead us in a word of prayer and then Victor's going to come and we're gonna close out uh, by singing and worship and, uh, and then a word of uh, benediction. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you this morning that we've been able to be here among the people of God, with the people of God, and uh, since the moving of your spirits, particularly as we worship together. And so we pray, Father, in these final moments together that by your grace, you would work among us for your glory and for our joy. And Father, there certainly are people here today that don't know Jesus. And every one of us who know, who know you know exactly what it's like to be outside of Christ. So we pray that your gracious grace would superabound in their lives, that they would come to know you just like so many of us have come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.